While on his lunch break at work, Sean switched to 48 Mobile. He got all data, calls and texts for the limited time offer of 650. That made him feel like he scored a goal. Yes. So he celebrated by pulling his shirt up over his head and knee sliding across his boss's desk. Good call, Sean. 48 Mobile. Good call. Subject to fair usage, $12.99 a month after the first three months. Six fifty one time activation fee. See 48.ie. KCL or Live, with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie. Good morning and welcome along to KCL or Live. It's just literally gone five past ten. It's Brian Redmond here for you this morning. Um, lots to do, lots to talk about, lots of fallout from yesterday's Oireachtas committees. How many times have we said that over the last three weeks? But nevertheless... And um, for the first time, Ryan Tuberty and his agent, Noan Kelly, are performing in front of the Oireachtas Committee. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, has been keeping abreast of stuff in the Oireachtas Committees over the last number of weeks. And delighted to speak to Sean again um, just after 11 o'clock this morning. But how did you think um, both men performed? Let us know. 083 306 9696. That's our dinner's ready text and WhatsApp line. Ryan saying on a couple of occasions he doesn't even know if he'll be in a job come Friday. Do you think he should still be in a job? Come next Monday morning, let me know. 083 306 Is he being made a scapegoat? Is the situation recoverable for him? Um, or will he decide to head off to pastures new? Um, pastures other than RTE, of course, plenty of them, I'm sure, open to him. But do let me know your own thoughts. 083 306 You can, of course, free phone the show. 1800 Siobhan is waiting to take your calls. And you can email us, as always, any time of the day or night, KCLR Live at KCLR96FM.com. Um, let's do some housekeeping, first of all, because there's lots of roadworks going on um, around the counties this morning. I'll, I'll be as quick as I can, but the R698 in Kula, that's going to be closed to traffic from its junction with the L1028. That's the Kula junction. Um, that's from Wednesday the 12th um, of July, from 7.30am till 1. So that's uh, to today. So from this morning right the way through to lunchtime today. Also going on to Cusson, the R697. That's going to be closed from its junction with the R698. That's still hocked. And it's junction with that road, the R701, again today, but in the afternoon from 1 o'clock till 6. Uh, moving on to Mallardstown, the R699. That's going to be closed uh, to traffic at Drimine. And that's from its junction with the road, the L1025. And um, that's tomorrow um, from 8am to 7pm. And Killaloe, that road, the L5032, will be closed to traffic um, at Kilbraggan. And um, that's from its junction with the L5013. That taking place in the Killaloo area from Thursday, 8am to 7pm. So all of those, try and remember them all. There's lots of them there to get through and keep on your mindset. Um, I'm sure none of them will cause any major, major traffic diversions will be in place, etc. So do follow the signs, but do bear in mind, lots of uh, expenditure going on by the county councils, fixing roads up right across Kilkenny and Carlow. Our competition um, all this week, we're trying to give away tickets to Fox McFadden's Fun Fair ba, ba, da, ba, ba, ba. Um, on the Hebron Road for three days from the 14th to the 16th of July. All your favourite attractions, including um, lots of exciting new elements, runaway train, family roller coaster, and fastest waltzers, and along with the biggest thrills the Fun Fair has to offer. From the 14th to the 16th of July only, we have lots of tickets to give away. That family bundle, each of them, contains 20 
tickets. This morning, we're asking you to tell us what show this piece of music is from. There you go. Tell me what it is. Tell me what show that is from. 083 306 9696. That's our text and WhatsApp line. You can get your entries in and we will get those tickets over to you. Now, um, I'm joined on the show this morning by Ono Bryn, Sinn Féin housing correspondent, uh, spokesperson, should I say, not correspondent. I'm sure he's doing lots of correspondence around housing, but doing lots of talking also. Owen, you're very welcome along to KCLR Live this morning. You're very good for having me. Um, listen, um, the, see, yesterday evening um, the, the government released its latest reports in relation to how they've been for- performing in the housing markets, um, but you weren't happy with that report being released yesterday, for example. Yeah, so I suppose there, there are two things. The first thing is is they organised a press conference uh, uh, with the Taoiseach Tónish, the leader of the Green Party and Minister for Housing at exactly the same time, Ryan Tuberty, and the entire eyes of the nation uh, were focused on the political uh, uh, or the public accounts committee. Uh, and that's very clearly an attempt to kind of bury what was actually a, a very bad news report um, uh, behind that PAC hearing. Uh, but the real problem I, I, oh, is, there's so much of that stuff going on at the moment. I mean, in terms of the timelines, uh, I think the government had planned to release that yesterday. Um, it was only late last week that the, the Oireachtas Committee organised the timing of that. It's 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 probably more coincidental, I would have thought, than... than or- no, in, 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 in fact, I was talking to a lot of the political correspondents yesterday and they were saying they only got the media notification uh, for yesterday's press event in the second half uh, of the day before. <coughs> but, <coughs> but what's also very clear is is that government obviously has a challenge in terms of <coughs> its media management. But everybody knew, not only the country, uh, but the political establishment and media establishment would be very, very focused uh, on the PAC and Ryan Tuberty and his agent's uh, uh, presentation. So uh, the idea that you would organise a press event um, on uh, the housing crisis, launch a report which actually shows no progress whatsoever on all of the key indicators, which we'll come to in a second, uh, and that you would do it knowing you weren't going to get any media coverage is somehow a coincidence. It just doesn't stack up. And in fact, when I was talking to the media corps here yesterday, they were the ones using words like cynical media management, hiding behind PAC and Ryan Tuberty. And if you look at the coverage today, it is far less than what that uh, report deserved, your own uh, media station's interest notwithstanding. Uh, So I actually think it was cynical media manipulation. It's the way in which this government does its business. Uh, um, And the real problem is when you actually look at the substance of the report, things aren't getting any better across a whole range of factors on the housing crisis. Well, I mean, one of the headlines that, that, that you published yesterday was a statement that said the longer this government is in power, the worse things will get. I'm sure they'll argue that it's a massive job and although things are still moving in the wrong direction, they're moving less quickly in the wrong direction. Unfortunately, the facts don't bear that out. And keep in mind, Fine Gael have been in government now for 12 years. Fianna Fáil have been supporting Fine Gael in government in one way or another for seven years. Uh, and Dara O'Brien uh, has been minister for three. Uh, and just in the last three years... House prices are up almost 30%, rents are up 25%, homelessness up 39%, child homelessness, the number of children living in hotels, hubs and B&Bs, up a staggering 44%. 
Uh, and what was significant about yesterday's report was yesterday was meant to be the government saying this is what we have done in quarters one and two around the housing crisis. Mm. Yet in all the things they control, social housing output, affordable housing output, uh, return of vacant and derelict uh, uh, buildings back into stock, uh, the tenant in situ scheme where local authorities and approved housing bodies buy properties to stop people becoming homeless. There was no updates on any of those for the full first six months of this year. In fact, the only information the government gave us yesterday was information that was already in the public domain about what other people are doing. Uh, and when we put this to the minister last night, and said, well, can you not just tell us six months in, how many social homes have you delivered this year? How many affordable homes have you delivered this year? When do you expect homelessness to stop rising and start to fall? The minister and the department couldn't give any answers. Likewise, one of the concerning trends under Dar O'Brien is the capital funding they've been given each year to deliver both social and much-needed affordable homes to rent or buy has been underspent. That trend has continued for six months this year, uh, and according to the Department of Finance, there's a 28% underspend in the housing capital budget so far this year. So what that suggests to me is, is not only are things not getting better, but actually this government is the cause of the problem. And that's why I suppose in the private members motion that we tabled last night, focusing primarily on solutions to the crisis in the private rental sector, one of the key things we were saying is, as long as Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in government, things are not only not going to get better, they are going to get worse, which is why we need a change of government as well as a change of housing plan. Just on that private private members motion, um, a lot of people will hear that, that phrase used, um, but just to explain to people, what does a private members motion actually seek to do? Yeah, so a private members motion is, is a non-binding motion around an issue of importance. So I suppose that the purpose of tabling them, uh, and it's one of the few things we can do from the opposition, is first of all to highlight an issue of huge importance, uh, uh, to be able to give voice to the very real concerns and anxieties those people at the harsh end of the housing crisis are experiencing every day, and then to put forward policy proposals which we're urging the government to take up and run with. Uh, and that was really the purpose of yesterday's debate uh, around the crisis in the private rental sector. There have been a number of reports recently, Threshold published a report two weeks ago, a renter sentiment survey, in which renters are saying they've never felt less secure, they've never been paying rents as high, and they've never felt as so risk of homelessness. Alone, the charity, obviously, that advocates for older people published a report the week before, along with Threshold, on the experience of the over 55s, particularly the over 65s in the private rental sector. And again, that real sense of insecurity and unaffordability. Uh, and <clears throat> what we haven't seen from this government over the last number of years is any meaningful measures. <clears throat> One, to significantly increase the supply of affordable rental and affordable purchase homes, particularly uh, for those vulnerable groups but also to try and stabilise our private rental sector. Rents are rising uh, 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 at a speed of knots. The private rental sector is shrinking as a certain portion of single property landlords sell up. They've been doing that since 2017. Uh, and caught in the middle of, of bad government policy is an entire generation of renters, uh, uh, insecure, at risk of homelessness uh, and facing ever-increasing costs uh, of putting a roof over their heads. And unless we see a change in policy... <clears throat> that uh, difficulty for renters is going to continue. I don't think anybody would deny, probably even government themselves, that those um, stresses and pressures and, and obstacles that we've outlined within the, the private rental market exist. Um, but just the point that you mentioned that a private member's motion is uh, non-binding, does that make it easier from an opposition's perspective to actually just lodge these motions? Because it's not as if they're, they're actually policy. 
Well, first of all, they are policy. They're concrete policy proposals. Um, uh, and the policy proposals that we set out, whether we're doing private members' legislation or private members' motions, are the policies that if there was a general election tomorrow uh, and if we had the honour and opportunity to lead the government after that, these are the policies we would be implementing. And I think the public has a right to know and a, and a hunger to know what a Sinn Féin-led government would do differently in housing, whether to tackle the housing and homelessness crisis, whether to deliver more social housing, and crucially, whether uh, and how to deliver more affordable rental and purchase accommodation uh, uh, for working singles uh, and families. So uh, I suppose there are limitations on what we can do because the rules of the Oireachtas don't allow the opposition to table legislation that would put a charge on the state. Mm. We're not allowed to spend money. Only the government can do that. So this is an important opportunity, like I say, to raise an issue of national importance, to highlight the concerns uh, of people who can't afford to rent a home, buy a home, waiting on council waiting lists, or worse of all, in emergency accommodation, but also to set out positive, credible alternatives to government. Uh, and interestingly, I mean, one of the issues we were debating yesterday is the need for a, a, an emergency three-year ban on rent increases and a real refundable tax credit to put a full month's rent back in every renter's pocket. Now, we've been proposing that for three or four years years the government laughed at us and said you couldn't do it over and over again and then all of a sudden last year in the budget they introduced a much weaker and more poorly designed tax credit for renters it's only 500 euros rather than up to a maximum of 1500 euros a year as we proposed only about half of renters have been able to access it but that does show that by raising these motions and pushing alternative policies sometimes you can albeit imperfectly influence government but I think what was very clear from Darrell Bryan, the Minister for Housing's response yesterday, is he doesn't think they need to do anything different. He thinks that they've, tur they've turned a corner. He said yeah. yesterday their housing plan is working at a time when almost all of the indicators show the very opposite. And that's why this isn't just about uh, the need to change policy. This really is, at this stage, uh, about the need to change government. So we talked about the government as it stands at the moment. Let's move on to Sinn Féin. I mean, looking at Sinn Féin's website itself, um, they've got a number of solutions on the homepage of the website showing how important you guys see this topic as being. Um, but one of those points is in relating to cutting waiting lists. Um, they propose that you want to have the council waiting list during one term of government through a council-led building programme on public land and clear the waiting list within a decade. Um, I suppose I could phrase that in one simple worded question. How? Sure. So uh, uh, we need about 25,000 public homes a year, every year for a decade. How we would do that is we would increase the targets and the funding for local authorities, approved housing bodies and community housing trusts. But also, crucially, we have very, very detailed proposals, which we've published and we've given to the department uh, previously on how to reduce the red tape to free up uh, and empower our local authorities and approved housing bodies to deliver far more of those. A lot of those would be new built, uh, particularly using new building technologies uh, and modular building technologies. But also a lot of it would be by funding our local authorities to bring far greater numbers of the vacant and derelict stock that's in our cities, towns and villages back into active use. Sometimes that's actually quicker, cheaper and better for the environment. So first of all, it's about ambition. Second of all, it's about funding and targets. And third, it's about stripping back the red tape. There was a time in this state... Is there not another deliver. element, though, Owen, in terms of the fact that whatever about the funding and people would contest that the funding is there, I'm sure people would contest that there is far too much red tape, but there's another major element in this that I think is required as well, and that's people. Houses don't build themselves, and at the moment we've almost got full employment. How are we going to build houses if we can't get people to build them? So the, the ESRI has actually published a very important paper on this, and it confirms a point we've been making for a while. So first of all, the number of people working in the construction sector has increased very significantly in recent years. So we're now at about 160,000 people working in that sector. 
but also because of bad government policy, there's a lot of construction sector workers building the wrong kinds of things, apart hotels, co-living, data centres. Uh, and that's happening because of a lot of badly designed tax incentives. If we're saying as a society, the single biggest priority in terms of construction right now is affordable homes, particularly because of need within local and regional economies, then we need to close off a lot of those tax breaks uh, and get the construction industry that we have reorientated building uh, the social and the affordable homes that are required. But you're also correct, we also need to attract new people uh, into the building trade. And in fact, only uh, Monday of this week, uh, I was in your neighbouring county of Carlo. Uh, I was down in the Glenvey Nua factory, which is, of course, mm. the old Braun factory, where uh, they've invested significantly in a new building technology centre. They're eventually going to employ up to 250 people. They've already got about 50 people on the books and they're going through 400 CVs from an open day they organised recently. That's right. And what they're doing is employing some cutting-edge building technologies which are better for the environment and quicker in terms of building good quality homes. But they'll also create a new generation of jobs. So what we need to be seeing is much more encouragement of that. And what I found quite remarkable was I wasn't hearing from the, the people in that factory who are r running it that they're getting an awful lot of encouragement or support from government. In fact, what they were complaining about is delays in, in the planning system, issues with the national planning framework, lack of investment in social and affordable homes. So I do think we have labour challenges, although they're not as bad as some people say. Uh, some of that is using the labour we have better. Some of it is about creating good quality jobs, particularly in places like Carlow and Kilkenny, to build the new green homes of the future. And I think with a greater focus uh, on that, and also a greater focus on the refurbishment of vacant and derelict homes, Go into a, a, any town or village in, in your county. Uh, your listeners know this better than I do. And there's lots of really, really good quality uh, homes uh, that are empty uh, and they need to be brought back into use. So uh, uh, do we need more workers? Yes, we do. But could we use the workers we have more smartly with building technologies and vacant and derelicts? Absolutely. But the crucial point is this. Last year, government only delivered 7,500 social homes and just over 1,000 genuinely affordable homes to rent or buy. We need more than double that. More mm. ambition, more funding, more targets, less red tape. Um, talking about the red tape, so we've talked about funding, we've talked about uh, the availability of the workforce, you've mentioned the red tape. A lot of the red tape that we experience at the moment was brought in after the back of the Celtic Tiger boom to prevent similar sort of circumstances happening again. Is there a danger that if we just open the floodgates we could have problems with you know, badly and poorly built accommodation and uh, create a similar sort of bubble to the one we experienced back in 2008-2009? So the first thing is there should be no reduction uh, in, in building control, no reduction in standards. In fact, what we'd like to see is far greater levels of independent inspection during the manufacturing and construction process. But that so would add more red tape, though, wouldn't it? Bad, bad old days. No, in fact, it's not red tape at all, because what it does is it ensures what's been built, as it's been built, has been built properly. The red tape I'm talking about actually happens uh, 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 between planning and the commencement of construction. Uh, and it's a micromanagement of, of uh, social affordable housing developments by the Department of Housing. For example, once a local authority approves planning permission for development and before construction even starts, there can be a delay of 18 to 24 months because of micromanagement. And you're right, some of those rules were introduced to ensure we didn't have runaway costs post-crash. But they're now actually costing us money because if you delay a local authority social or affordable housing project for 12 months, the cost of that project goes up by 10 to 15 percent. I talk to a lot of small and medium sized builders, including in places like Carlow and Kilkenny, uh, who are uh, contracted out to do these jobs. And they are so frustrated by the bureaucracy imposed by the Department of Housing. I talk to lots of really good housing managers, again, including in the counties that your listeners uh, are based, and they express real frustration. We need to get the Department of Housing 
uh, out of the way. We need to trust our local authorities and our, our, our construction companies. We need to absolutely ensure that building control does its job. In fact, I'd like to see more building control officers and local authorities inspecting those projects. Uh, but inspecting projects in real time doesn't slow them down. In fact, it makes sure they're being uh, done properly. So there are sensible ways to cut back the unnecessary red tape and bureaucracy without in any way compromising standards or safety. And in the course of doing that, actually saving money for the taxpayer. Uh, that's a universally accepted principle across all of the people who are actually on the sites project managing. Unfortunately, both the Department of Finance and Public Expenditure and Reform are living in 2008, 9 and 10, not in 2023 and 2024. They're applying an outdated set of rules. And it's not only costing us money, it's slowing down the delivery of homes. For three years in a row, Dara Bryan missed his social affordable housing targets. Yes, COVID was part of the problem. But actually, when I talk to people on the ground, they're saying this dead hand of the Department of Housing's uh, uh, bureaucracy is really what's killing them. And that's continued into this year with the capital underspend as recorded by the Department of, of Finance in the Department of Housing. So let's have a smarter way of delivering those homes, but good quality homes. We're never going back to the bad old days of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, Celtic Tiger era defects. And just finally, Alan O'Brien, thanks for your time so far this morning. But I mean, Dar O'Brien sort of have stuck to his guns really on the uh, no fault ban. He's been saying for weeks and months now that he's not going to roll back on that decision. Um, it doesn't look like you're going to be able to get him to change his mind either. And the tragedy, of course, is what that means is month on month there will be more people in emergency accommodation and particularly more people over the age of 55 and more children. Uh, Darrell Bryan has presided over a 44% increase in child homelessness in three years. He is essentially the Minister for Homelessness, not the Minister for Housing. And he said uh, almost nonchalantly when the last homeless figures were out, oh, well, we expected this. Of course you did. You voted to end the one protection. Yeah, I think he expected it because this. he thought there was going to be some sort of short term uptake in it, but he was trying to create a situation where long term he didn't encourage more um, landlords to leave the market. Well, first of all, landlords have been leaving the market since 2017 and from the independent research from the Residential Tenancies Board, for a variety of reasons, that's going to continue. The problem is that the government from 2017 and again this government now from 2020 has no proper plan in place to deal with that. And crucially, they don't have a plan in terms of increasing and accelerating the delivery of social affordable homes. Almost half of the people who live in the private rental sector should not be there. They should be in social homes, affordable homes or, or private owner occupation. But also, uh, uh, the mitigation package, the mitigation measures that government said they were going to put in place from the 1st of April when they ended the ban on no-fault evictions uh, has proved not to be the case. They promised, for example, uh, a first refusal for tenants to be able to buy the property. That legislation isn't even drafted, won't be ready till the autumn. They promised an effective tenant in situ scheme, both for affordable renters and social renters, where councils and AHBs would buy the properties from landlords at market value. Uh, 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 those schemes aren't working properly. Uh, they promised, for example, to make changes to the Fair Deal scheme. That hasn't happened. All of that indicates a government that wasn't prepared, that doesn't have a plan, and that really is the root cause of the crisis. So Dalbrand can say all he likes, but the facts don't lie. Today and tonight, more children will sleep in emergency accommodation because of Darrell O'Brien, Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar, Naaman Ryan, than in any other time in modern history. That is the single biggest symbol of this government's failure. It is not acceptable. And my question back to Darrell O'Brien is, 
How long are homeless figures going to rise? What is an acceptable number? We're going to hit 13,000 as an official figure for adults and children in emergency accommodation. Is that acceptable? If it goes to 14,000, is that acceptable? The answer is no. But until this government is gone, I think this crisis is going to continue. And that's why ultimately, what do we need? We need a general election, change (laughs) of government, change of housing minister and change of housing plan to start delivering the social, affordable rental and affordable purchase homes at scale that's required while having an emergency response to uh, tackle homelessness and greater measures to protect renters. Honour Brent, Fan Housing Spokesperson. Thanks for joining us this morning on KCLR Live. Thanks for your time. It's 28 minutes past 10 o'clock this morning. Um, any texts or comments, you're more than welcome on Honour Brent's comments. 083-306-9696. That is our text and WhatsApp number. Lots of you texting with your thoughts on Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly in front of the Arctic Committee yesterday. I'll read you some of those in just a moment. KCLR Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Welcome back to KCLR Live. It's 10.31. In a couple of moments, I'll be speaking to Sinead Brady. She's a career psychologist, and she'll be talking about the importance of switching off while on holiday. Just to come to some of your texts and comments in relation to yesterday's Oroctus Committee meetings. So many of you were tuned in, some of you for the full six or seven hours of the committee hearings. Uh, a listener in Greg Namana saying, good morning, listening to your programme, I don't think Ryan Tubley should be allowed back to work at RT in the near future. I think he's lost a lot of respect in his country and as I said, that's from a listener in Greg Namana. Another texter saying, I watched the entire proceedings yesterday, I have sympathy for Ryan Tubley. Yes, but when asked certain questions, he had to turn to Noel Kelly and couldn't answer um, certain questions. So I think he should go, um, even if he's kept in with RTE. How can he face his colleagues and will the public even still listen to him? If you think differently, 083 306 9696. Other people telling me, should his house is being built all over Kilkenny at the moment? Um, what's what's the minister or the spokesperson from Sinn Spain complaining about? Well, I think it's probably more than just one or two developments here or there across Kilkenny that is needed to solve the crisis uh, that we're in at the moment. But talking about crisis, it's nice to get away from it all, get a bit of a break, a bit of a holiday, switch off and get some important, important relaxation. And somebody who's an advocate for that is Sinead Brady. She's a career psychologist and she's joined us this morning on KCLR Live to tell us how important it is to switch off. Good morning, Sinead. Good morning, Brian. Thank you for having me. Well, for those that are lucky enough to be going away on holidays, I'm sure the uh, the sun loungers and the odd uh, margarita here or there will help smooth the process of switching off. But not everybody manages to get away. Even if you're staying at home, it can really dampen down the ability for people to switch off, tempted to check emails. How important is it to switch off on holidays? So, really important. Um, and I can't over estimate or overemphasize how important it actually is. So we know that when you take your annual leave or your holidays or the breaks that you need from work, um, not alone does it benefit your ability to engage with your work, it also strengthens your social connections, it builds your resilience and all of the great things. So your dopamine levels um, increase, your cortisol levels decrease, all of the great things that you need in order to live a life well actually benefit from rest, relaxation and recuperation whether that's on your holidays or whether it's on the time outside of work, you know, after work or whatever. So every piece of research that we have talks to and speaks to the benefits of breaks and taking your annual leave. But that doesn't always mean that we manage to do it because we do live in a world, as you said, whereby 
you know, hustle culture, always been on is really, you know, is praised and is seen as the path to success. Um, and, and that is causing issues for helping us to switch off and log off and actually take the breaks that we need. And what do you and think? Deserve. <laughs> well, I mean, that could be argued. Some people might say. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what are the key things that you think happen, Sinead, for example, when people are lucky enough maybe to get away on a holiday that encourage them to switch off that we need to try and recreate if we're maybe getting a break from work but not getting on a plane to head off somewhere? How can we recreate that sense of being away to get that proper rest and relaxation that we need? Yeah, so first off, I would say to people that if you're struggling with this, it's not actually your fault. The system has kind of triggered us to be switched on all of the time. So if you think about it, Brian, from the moment you went to primary school, you went to school, you did your school day, and then you come home and did homework. So we've been primed to kind of be on all of the time from our first encounter with um, our education system. So this is a skill that you have to learn. You haven't been taught it, and this is something that you have to learn. So it's going to take a bit of time. Sinead, are you still there? Called a, a psych- yes, no, I'm yeah, here. Can, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Yeah, a psychological bridge. So a psychological bridge is a cognitive trigger or a routine or a ritual that you put in place to teach yourself that this is actually time to switch off from work. So one of the things that you can do is, yes, put on your out of office and do all of those different things. Communicate with people that you're going to be away for the time that you're away. But... Also give yourself permission. So activate your permission mindset and say, okay, so I'm going on holidays. I deserve this break. I need this break. And when I am on my break, these are the rituals I'm going to put in place to trigger my brain into remembering that I am actually in non-work mode. So, for example, a strong morning routine that is different from what you might normally do when you're going to work. So it might be that you listen to your favorite podcast or your favorite radio show or whatever, you know, rather than checking emails first thing. So you're putting in place a routine that is triggering your brain and reminding it that you are in rest, relaxation, recuperation mode. And you've got a routine for morning time, for afternoon time and one for evening time. And Sinead, it I might mean, be the margarita hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll certainly do it. Certainly does it in my case. Yeah. But I mean, you know, our workplaces have changed a lot over the last couple of years because of COVID. The work from home has so many benefits, but it's blurred the lines between that in work and out of work time. Like, for example, I was up till probably about 11 o'clock last night reading Sinn Féin's website, for example, in preparation to speak to Owen O'Brien, the housing spokesperson, earlier on this morning. If I don't do that work, will the dog eat dog world mean that? somebody who is prepared to do that work will progress in in the work life uh, a lot quicker than I would. You see, Brian, that's a really fair observation because we have intensified our work patterns and the way the world of work has changed since COVID has meant that work, the boundaries, as you say, between work and life have collapsed almost entirely. Um, And there is an element of, yes, somebody who's willing to put in those hours. But then you have to ask yourself the question is, how sustainable is that across the course of my career? And is it possible to do that level of work intensification from the start of your career right the way through to the point where you no longer are in the paid workplace? Mm. And if you prioritize those kind of work intensification hours, um, we know actually that your likelihood of cardiovascular disease, of um, burnout, of other health issues and, you know, breaking down the social connections with the people that are important to you in your life, the people that make you smile are more likely. And then that impacts your ability to fully engage in the workplace. So it's kind of a vicious circle. And I suppose, again, as I said, we haven't really been taught how to switch off. And this is about learning how to do that in a way 
that it is possible to have a career and it is possible to have a life outside of work and to do so in a way that works for you during each season of life. And sure, there's going to be occasions, you know, where maybe you've got a big interview coming up and you do need to do that kind of research late into the evening. And that's the exception rather than the rule. But where it is the rule rather than the exception, then we have to kind of look up and look around and ask, is this the type of work culture that I intend to be in for the remainder of my career? And if so, is this practical? Um, And they're not easy questions to ask. And they're certainly not ones we've been taught to ask. But they are important questions because a sustainable career is important. It's a career where you can be well at work and still have the energy to have your career or to have your life outside of work. And do you think men and women are different in this regard? Because I mean, according to a study published recently in the Wisconsin Medical Journal, women who take holidays twice or more per year, and I'm sure there's women shouting at the radio now, feel free to (laughs) shout away at me if you want. But apparently, women, if you can take a holiday twice or more a year, surprise, surprise, you're going to be less likely to become depressed, tensed or tired. Yeah, and and this is the reality. And I suppose some of the things that weren't looked at in that article is the emotional labour attached to going on holidays. And what I mean by emotional labour is... um, there's a huge amount of work that happens kind of around the holidays. But then when you get on the holidays, 10 days in, it's actually, you begin to rest, recover, recuperate and relax. And once you hit that 10 days in, about day 7 to 10, your likelihood of having these symptoms outside of your holidays are d- decrease. So it's really important. Now, the run into a holiday can feel really hard. Um, you know, you're trying to finish projects and all that kind of stuff. And, no, do you and know maybe what I find hard, Sinead? Find it hard. I find it hard to run up to the holiday. Trying to find enough time to wind up everybody else who's in the office who's not going on holiday anytime <laughs> soon. That's what I find difficult to get into my schedule. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, but a bit of fun. That type of thing that we're talking about, the, the blurred lines between the work-life balance, it points more and more to the fact that, you know, that old expression, if you can find a job that you love... You you'll never work a day in your life. That's probably becoming more and more important to us, isn't it? Yeah, and I suppose we're the first generation. And what I mean is first generation of people in the workplace. So anybody who entered the workplace from about 1970 right the way through to now who have an expectation that our careers will give us a sense of meaning. Um, Before that, our careers were for survival. We needed them for financial security. So we're that first generation of people that are currently in the workplace or the first cohort combined in the workplace who really do have an expectation that, yes, um, financial security and, you know, the roof over the head, all of those really important things are expected, but also that we derive a sense of meaning from that thing that we trade time with the people in our lives who make us smile to do for maybe 40 hours a week. So, yeah, and I think that's well, we're well entitled to that. Um, But it's finding a way for the world of work, the structures and the systems that are in place in that world of work to shift and to move to match the change in the tempo of our lives so that we engage flexibly with work while actually finding a way to have life outside of work. And I think that's the little bit that we're struggling with. But we're frontiers on that, Brian, and we're leading <laughs> we're leading we're leading change. We're leading change. Well Jeanette Brady, the career psychologist, I think I've come up with a solution. I'm off to check on LinkedIn to see if I can find a job testing sun loungers and quality checking margaritas and maybe I'll be able <laughs> to get the balance of both of them um, all in the one place. Thanks for joining us this morning on KCLL. I have a pleasure talking to you. 
more than welcome, Brian. That was Sinead Brady, the career psychologist. Yes, that's what to do. Get yourself uh, a couple of holidays a year, minimum seven to ten days. And uh, if you can't do that, maybe get your job as a mar- margarita tester somewhere. That could also do it. Uh, it's 10.42 now. Coming up after the break, Garda Andy Neal joins us for Community Assist. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie KCL you're welcome back to KCLR Live. It's uh, just gone 16 minutes to 11 o'clock. A couple more comments in on uh, yesterday's Oroctus committees. Yes, Brian. Uh, I think they mean yes, comma, Ryan. Um, he's been made a scapegoat of top executives in RTE. Shocking the way he's being treated. Uh, this is just another example of passing the book, says a Kilkenny listener. And also questions relating to Ryan Turby yesterday. It looked like the TDs were trying to score brownie points. So there's a variety of different comments. Some thinking Ryan um, should be back on air and some thinking... Maybe not. KCLR Community Assist with Carlo and Kilkenny Gardy. Yeah, to this time of the week, we're joined in studio as always by a representative from Angarda Shiakana. And if I may say, one of our favourite ones is in studio today. Garda Andy Neil has joined us. Good morning, Garda Neil. Oh, thank you, Brian, and good morning. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking of your dream job, you see. <laughs> so, uh, tasting margaritas. But, of course, it would have to be five o'clock, or would you use the argument that it'd be five o'clock somewhere, yeah? Well, my working day starts at what time my working day starts at. So oh, if right. I'm, if I'm required on the job at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, so that's what you'd be there. Yeah, a I'm, dedicated I'm a professional. Grafter, proper yeah, grafter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, talking about grafting, you've, you've worked hard, you've put together a few different announcements that we need to be aware of um, cars featuring quite strongly in the first couple of them yeah. um, a, a car in Carlo I think targeted uh, for some valuables that were in it yeah yeah car, tar- car uh, targeted in in Carlo um, so what what we had was um, a Kia Sportage an orange one parked up on the um, on the Staples Town Road uh, between 11 a.m. and 12 noon, and in this case, now I don't believe the vehicle was actually locked, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So uh, while we certainly no one ever deserves to be a victim of a crime, and we must always, but it does highlight that a lot of us outside our houses or anything we don't hit the lock button. And it's worth double checking because sometimes it just you think you've locked it, but maybe you've hit the unlock button rather than the yeah. lock button. Well, actually, funny enough, on a modern car, if you hit the unlock lock button and no one goes near a door within about 90 seconds it will lock anyway ah yeah so because it will pick it up as, as an accidental but so so a black Dell laptop and a black Samsung phone so our colleagues in Carlo at 059-913-6620 asking anyone who may have noted this or indeed anyone who may be offered this property mm. because again this is often what happens so packed on the Stapleton Road um, um, uh, and it's a car that would stand out. I mean, an orange yeah. Kia Sportage. Yeah. Um, it'd be something you'd know. Yeah. So if you saw anyone hoking around that, acting suspiciously, there you are. Um, again, um, again in Carlo. So, Guardian investigating uh, 
another vehicle-related crime, and this time it was criminal damage, which to you and I is vandalism, or in this case was vandalism with the attempt to get into the car, to break into car and go through it for belongings. Uh, Parked her car at the Talbot Hotel last Saturday evening between 9.30 and 11.30pm. Vehicle, a 221 Blue Tiguan, tasty machine, had its passenger front window smashed to effect entry, search the vehicle. Uh, Don't really think anything of value was taken, but massive inconvenience obviously to the hirer and it is a crime. So please contact Gar- Carlo Garden 0599136620. This is again highlighting look, Brian, vehicle security. It's so like I've I've often had the discussion with people, oh look, uh it's gosh, you've left a handbag in that car and they mm. say, Ah, oh, there's nothing in it, don't worry. Yeah. You know, uh that doesn't matter if they see a handbag through. They're going for it. Yeah. If you must have valuables in your car, stow before you stop. Yeah. You can have nothing visible or so, uh, that, that's a value or something that looks might be a value. And even like, I mean, this might sound like over the top, but I mean, if you have got a handbag in your car yeah. and you're not going to bring but it But you're entitled you. to have a handbag as well, Brian. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't say if a woman. I said yeah, if yeah, you. Exactly. You exactly. or I, we could have yeah. a handbag in our car. Yeah. No problem at all. Um, but also, I mean, if you stop and somebody happens to see you stopping and getting out and putting the handbag oh, into yeah. the boot, then it's they're really again. thinking, oh yeah, there's definitely something yeah. in that. Stow Maybe before you stop. Yeah, pull into a petrol station somewhere, put yeah. it into the boot, then drive off to your final parking yeah. destination, get out of the car nonchalantly, swing in your keys, lock yeah. the car. Yeah. And uh, head off about your business. Yeah. Now, beauty spots, especially, of course, this time of year in the fabulous weather, he says ironically. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. In the fabulous weather, between the showers, you might decide you want to go to parts of, uh, um, you might decide you want to go to Waterfall in Kilfane. You might be going anywhere. Right. Uh, anywhere nice. I'm sure Carlos, lots of lovely spots, too. Yes. Yeah. I'm not often up that way. <laughs> but uh, you might go to any beauty spot. And uh, people know you're going to be there for a while. Yeah, and the thing again with that is, if you're going on those trips, quite mm. often you've got kids with you. Quite often you've 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 furnished them with all sorts of devices to keep yeah, them entertained on the trip. Yeah, yeah. You pull up at the to beauty spot. Them, to edu- edu- yeah, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pull up at the beauty spot. Take all the laptops and iPads and yeah. little devices yeah. off them. Load them all into the boot of the car. Yeah. Somebody isn't you doing that and saying, they're oh, heading that. off to the beach. They're not yeah. going to be back for hours yet. Yeah. Loads of yeah. time to do yeah. this. A beach, what's that? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a place that sort of separates the uh, the sea from the rainy land, unfortunately. Oh, right, yeah. It could yeah. also be a place where you might sit in a sun, sun lounger and enjoy a margarita, but that's going back to the <laughs> hey, topic we were talking about earlier on. Um, so we're going to move on to another form of transport in just a moment. I'm going to take a quick break. You okay today with us? Yeah, perfect. I know you love our company. Can't get rid of him. Garda Andy Neal joining us for Community Assist today. Uh, we'll continue looking at the other items on his agenda just after this short break. KCL or Live, with thanks to the Fairgreen Shopping Centre gift card, the perfect gift for all occasions. See fairgreen.ie. The Environmental Minute on KCLR, giving you practical tips and information on sustainable living, helping to tackle the climate emergency. Brought to you by Kidco, Kilkenny Innovation Development Company, working to make Kilkenny better. Review your waste. Take note of everything that goes into your household waste over seven days. Look out for items that could be composted, reused or recycled and challenge yourself to send a little less to landfill the following week. For unavoidable items like pet waste and cat litter, choose biodegradable products and ensure they're disposed of safely. Plan your meals ahead. 
always bring a shopping list and store food properly to keep food waste to a minimum. Use or freeze leftovers and compost any unavoidable food scraps. The Environmental Minute on KCLR brought to you by Kidco, Kilkenny Innovation Development Company. You can hear more practical tips and information on sustainable living and how you can help tackle the climate emergency by visiting kclr96f.com forward slash Kidco. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie You're welcome back to KCL or live this Wednesday morning, 8 minutes to 11 o'clock. Garda Andy Neal's joined us in studio for our usual uh, community assist. A cheeky petrol station theft. This was cheeky, yeah. This was uh, in the lovely in the lovely uh, Noctofer. Mm. And uh, Only yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, only yesterday at around 6pm is understand the suspect uh, a female was very effective in distracting the teller to carry out her crime so this would involve often I suppose they target shopkeepers but constantly changing their mind about something oh no I actually want that one and oh no is, is it not available in that flavour and different things end up on the counter and you end up with things pocketed by sleight of hand or something mm. like it also works with change scams yeah I've heard that my wife actually used to work in the post office mm. and they would be very strict yeah, luckily yeah. enough they got experienced enough to sort yeah. of smell it as it was happening yeah. as you know so they would be quite strict about giving out change and stuff like that but what was actually just stolen or, or uh, thefted in yeah, this case yeah uh, tobacco and tobacco products okay. tobacco and those uh, vapey yoke jigs yeah and so not a huge value in this theft but a cheeky one all the same and it was discovered afterwards, I think, with the aid of CCTV. So, yeah. again, anyone who... It's Carol's, isn't it, in Noctofer? Could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is only one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there is only yeah, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually does a good deli roll, too, from my memory. <laughs> right? You know? You know? Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, I was going to get into a, a sort of... Uh, donuts, uh, no? no yeah. Don't, don't. <laughs> Probably do those, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, that, just for people who work in shops, be very careful when you've got somebody who approaches you looking for change yeah. first of all hey who's carrying cash these days right yeah, first yeah, of all, that's yeah, the first yeah. point you know and second of all if they start this there's 50 can you split that for me yeah. hold on to that note in your hand and don't let it go anywhere yeah. because if they start doing things like oh sorry I gave you the wrong one give me that back from yeah. can you change yeah. those yeah. You you it, yeah and they're good yeah and they're good they should be magicians oh yeah and making money by entertaining us rather than making money by uh, scamming poor unsuspecting shopkeepers I actually investigated one fella a few years ago and convicted him and uh, he was ang- <laughs> his name uh, now uh, I don't know how he ended his name was actually Rambo right? was it yeah. it wasn't the amazing Rambo no was no, it? no 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 it wasn't that Rambo but he he was so good at it that he'd successfully done it in in a bank in College Green in wow yeah. so this guy was good yeah yeah that, that, good. that was the epitome the, the height of his career I'm taking on the bank yeah, yeah. I'll start with uh, the tobacco absolutely. products locally yeah. uh, brazen bike theft uh, of accessories yeah now this this is very naughty so this is outside the library in John's Key in Kilkenny uh, just before 2pm yesterday occurred in the previous two hours it was reported just before 2pm and someone actually robbed the child carrying seat off the back of a bike I mean seriously uh, probably a pretty bad low there so any information that uh you would those are slow and awkward i once fitted one to a bike and never removed one right <laughs> 
Because I don't go around stealing things. But I once fitted one to a bike, and they're quite awkward. Well, if anybody needs a lift off Garda and you Neil, he still has a child seat apparently on the back of his bike because he's <laughs> yeah. never. No, I won't be allowed to guard a bike. So, so uh, my own colleagues here in Kilkenny, 056 treble 75,000. And then going back to Carlo for this opportunist theft. Yeah, cash, tobacco products, and vaping materials from fuel retailer. Look. On the Seems road. similar to the other one. Oh yeah, but this is oh, this is slightly different. This isn't distraction. This is slip a door of an office. Okay, I'm very very clever. Uh, good, um, a few hundred in, in in valuables taken between vaping products and tobacco and even a quantity of cash. This is classed as a burglary, by the way. The is reason it? this is a burglary, and this is often often we don't explain little things, right? Yeah. So I said about the bicycle seat being robbed. Of course, it wasn't robbed because a robbery is a threat of violence before, during, or after, or threat of force, or the actual. So use that's of force. a theft. Then, yeah, yeah, it? yeah. It was a theft of the of the back of that bike seat. But this is a burglary because the person entered a building or part thereof as a trespasser so the public aren't allowed into that office yeah so you're a trespasser right. so if you enter a building or a part of a building as a trespasser and commit uh, an arrestable offense it's called a burglary as opposed to a theft so more serious penalty actually yeah in yeah, law. yeah so very clearly defined differences between a theft a burglary and, and a, a robbery, robbery. but you know and and like People would often talk, oh, the petrol station got robbed last night at 3 a.m. Uh, no, it probably didn't. It was probably broken into the roof. That That's a burglary. Yeah. Well, I, I'm yeah. glad you taught me that today. I'll, I'll try and remember that a for a future and, and impress yeah. you in future conversations <laughs> with my uh, knowledge and expressions around the, the legal system here in Ireland. Um, aggression on our roads, just very quickly. Okay? Yeah, aggression on our roads. Listen. We've had our fair share of tragedies really? over the past over the past year in this county and in Carlo. On the, with uh, I, when you say tragedies, you mean tragedies as a result of people being aggressive no, in terms of their marching I mean, style? No, I mean we've had particularly tragic incidents on the road, and some of these things happen by different ways. But I'm not attributing any of those in, indeed to aggression. But what I suppose we are saying is. Let's think of the consequences of when things go wrong mm. on the roads. And let's think that like if you charge up on someone, someone comes out on you, maybe quite rudely, yeah. pulls out on you, and then you just dive right up behind them and you hoot the horn, you overtake it the next roundabout, you pull in front. Like that's road rage. Yeah. You know? And really our job on the uh, on the road is is defensive driving. So is is road rage prosecutable under um, uh, bad driving sort of Oh yeah, yeah. It would simply go down under the greater thing of dangerous driving. Dangerous driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, so if someone does something to you on the road, like, uh, if someone affronts you in some way on the road, either by carelessness or bad driving, you always have the option of taking a number if if it's easy uh, and reporting it but prosecuting it yourself by getting even is not an option we'd really say just on the roads let's all take a deep breath when something happens and say right I'm not going to let that work me up today. I'm not going to take this out on someone else. Yeah, okay. Uh, Gareth, Andy, Neil, appreciate it for joining us. Actually, a, a question actually in from a texter. We don't need to answer it now, but just for the future one. Had the guards got a description of the people involved in the distraction theft? Never 
do they give a description? I don't know whether you can't give a description here, but maybe that's something to bear in mind. Oh, when I was looking on this morning, on yes, if I had, when I was looking on this morning um, on on indeed our pulse system going through instance, I didn't see a description on the instant. Uh, that was recorded. Now the guard member who took May it have one, yeah. uh, would have actually had, but uh, I, wa- I so I wasn't able to furnish you this morning. Very very good point, and I believe the more we give out, the more we get in. We'll try and take it on board, Garda Andy Neil. Thank you for joining us in studio as always, and as always, when Garda Andy Neil is in studio, I'm going to be late for the news. And KCLR Community Assist with Carlo and Kilkenny Gardy. It is eleven o'clock. Apologies to the newsreader, but we are on the way to you. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carl helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Thanks, Ashton. You didn't hear me talking to Sinead Brady earlier on the career psychologist, suggesting that it takes seven to ten days for people to switch off when they go on holidays. I can, yeah, I can understand that. I think oh, as soon as <laughs> I hit, agree with well, yeah, I can seven to ten days is quite nice, but yeah. for me, as soon as I hit the duty free in Dublin Airport, I'm like out of here. Yeah, that is fair enough. Checked but yeah. out. Yeah, nevertheless, it's be nice to get away. Oh, Any definitely. plans? No, not no. yet. No, none, I need none, to, need none to here something. either. Yeah, maybe no. we'll. Uh, we have to find some way of switching yeah. off. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you again at twelve. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo with a fantastic range of shops, food outlets and a state-of-the-art IMC cinema. See fairgreen.ie Now, they were all back in yesterday in the Oireachtas committees talking to Ryan Turbody and his agent Noel Kelly this time. And um, I've spoken to this man a couple of times over the last few weeks and I think he's probably getting bored talking about RTE. But nevertheless, he is here this morning to do his usual. Sean Defoe, political correspondent, thanks as always for your time this morning. Well, no. versus lies how do you think they all got on yesterday yeah it was an interesting one wasn't it it was the I mean Ryan Turbody argued with the most famous person ever before an Oireachtas committee and uh, look I thought he acquitted himself pretty well uh, as did Noel Kelly but I think Noel Kelly has more questions certainly according to uh, people in the committee that I was speaking to afterwards and, and this morning than Ryan Tuberty. Like, they both came out with an absolute explosive opening statement. Tuberty listing through what he called set or seven untruths that have been told about him and about his, his uh, payments over the last three weeks. The biggest bombshell among them, I suppose, that the former Chief Financial Officer, Brida O'Keefe, at RTE, had given them a, a written promise of a letter underwriting the Renault deal of €75,000 a year, and that's significant because she told the committee last week that she didn't do that, that no one within RT had done that, and the only guarantee was given verbally by D Forbes on a Microsoft Teams meeting. Uh, Noel Kelly then went one step further and said this idea that the RT execs had been painting that D Forbes went on a solo run and it was all her fault was totally nonsense, that there were multiple people who knew about the guarantee and other things within the organisation and that was all RT's fault. And that stuck to a point, but as the committee went on, all six and a half hours of it, there were more and more TDs sort of questioning, well, you know, is this entirely RT's fault? Do you not accept some of the blame, particularly towards Noel Kelly? Ryan Tuberty said that he accepted blame for not challenging the publicly declared figures a bit more robustly. Noel Kelly didn't accept any blame. Uh, um, the, the nut that was never quite cracked by the committee was aimed at him, where they said, well, look, you raised the invoices, so you were asked by RTE to invoice a UK company you'd never heard of 
to not put your client's name on the docket uh, and then also to market as consultancy fees when it very clearly wasn't consultancy fees and did he not feel he was then at least in some way culpable for all of this being uh, hidden he completely denied that said he was following instructions from RTE a company he had worked with for 23 years uh, and trusted to be doing the right thing but that was something that a lot of committee members said uh, you know they did, didn't really stack up for them yeah, I mean, that was the phrase that we constantly heard yesterday. We were acting under instructions from RT. A lot of the politicians saying, you know, I think somebody put it quite simply. Well, my father used to tell me if your mate told you to put your hand in the fire, would you? That seemed to be the line of questioning that they were taking. But Noel Kelly never deviated from that point, did he? No, and Catherine Murphy called it the, the Nuremberg defence. Absolutely, yeah. Just doing what I was told. Yeah, we were just following orders. Um, so, no, they, they didn't really and didn't believe that someone of his experience and business acumen wouldn't question why he was being asked to do this. Now, he said, look, he assumed Astus was some stipulation by Renault, that that was why the company was involved. The Renault obviously would have offices in the UK, and perhaps that's why it was being done and didn't really question it too much. But I think you know, the, the credulity was a bit strange, and a lot of committee members were saying, look, if it was any one of us, if you were had been raising an invoice with, with Casey Laura for, for years, and then suddenly they said, actually, your next one, send it to this UK company, You'd at least ask the question, but, why was that being done? But would you, Sean? I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm, this is a, a chat between me and you. It's not really necessarily a, a debate on the, the semantics of it. But if your boss turned around to you, and I know, you know, RT is not Noel Kelly's boss, but if your boss said to you, actually, that's, next month you need to send your invoices to such and such a place, is it not perceivable or acceptable that you might just do what you're told? I think you'd at least ask the question, wouldn't you? You'd say, well, okay, why are we doing it differently? Why is it going this way? And like, you might you might still go ahead and do it and trust that your boss is doing it for a different way, but you'd at least ask, you know, oh, well, we've changed accounting companies or we've changed whatever. Mm -hmm. Look for some sort of an explanation before you send off your, your invoice. So to think that there was just no question at all asked I, I think isn't massively credible and it doesn't really matter what I think anyway that's what the committee members <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, that's why I think, they I think kept most, coming back to it yeah I think most times a boss would say listen we've changed this and we've changed that or do it or so from next month you'll need to do it this way and therefore you've got yeah, your that explanation happens, that happens a lot I mean you know you're, you, you have a new accountancy firm involved or you've changed the way you do systems or you've updated the technology or whatever that's not you know that's not a huge question but you'd still go oh yeah sorry why are we doing that <laughs> yeah I think that's probably sums up this whole debacle if somebody over the last couple of years whether it was on the executive on the board of RTE or maybe within Ryan and his management team went sorry why are we doing that we probably wouldn't yeah. have the situation we have and I think it's actually a good point you've hit on that like when we go back to let's say Richard Collins even last week the chief financial officer uh, and his defence I thought actually was quite credible even though he got savaged for it when he said look I came in COVID hit pretty much straight away after. I was trying to keep the company afloat. We were in danger of going out of business. We had all these different things going on. We had sponsors pulling out left, right and centre because they were under financial pressure. And when all that happened, my direct boss said to me, here, don't worry about that. I'm handling it personally. Uh, and that was good enough for him, you know. So you could you, you could take that to a point. And I don't think there's a huge amount of people maybe who would have questioned that. And yet at the same time now, he's he's stepped down from the executive and his future at RT is a big question mark over it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's two major other things that we need to sort of talk about very quickly this morning. Um, one, Ryan Tubby's potential future. We'll come on to that in a moment. But secondly, um, before we talk about Ryan himself, I just wanted to talk about the politicians. Do the politicians actually listen? I mean, you're the political correspondent. Do they listen to the questions that the other people have asked because it drives me up the wall when somebody's asked the same question that's asked 
10 times already. And also, mm. on the other, the flip side of it, if somebody seems to be onto something, if somebody's got a fish on the line and they run out of time, why doesn't the next politician continue to take up holding that rod and pulling on that fish? And you can see sometimes they completely change tack and the witnesses go, oh, Grant, I'm over it. Why don't they listen yeah. to what one another are asking? Yeah, it drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. They do it the whole time. Um, some of them, they very rarely pick up where one has left off. That is a huge frustration. And you'll know that as a you, as an interviewer, mm. where you, you get somewhere, it's that second or third or fourth question that gets the answer. It's not necessarily on the first one. Uh, and that drives me absolutely crazy. There are some who don't care, who are there to grandstand, and yeah. who are there to say their piece and get their clip for social media and hope they get on the telly and hope that they get on the radio. Uh, and that's just all that they want to do. The other one that drives me, bananas is when they ask a question and they, they only have a set amount of time they have 10 minutes similar to a radio interview 10, 10 minutes time but they don't deviate from their questions so they will ask something and they will not give the person the time to answer and it might be a fantastic question might be something really good that is going to elucidate an answer or you, you can see something is forthcoming some piece of information and they give them four or five seconds to answer and then they move on and speak over and you could see the witnesses it happens every time doesn't matter if it's Ryan Turbidy, Noel Kelly or other people who come in before committees it takes them a long time to get used to that because they think they're there to answer questions they're happy to answer the questions sometimes it's not a straight yes or no yet quite often the politicians look for a straight yes or no and then there are some who aren't looking for answers at all they're there to show vote yeah. and get their clip and that's that, that's the, the nature we saw a bit of that good bit of that yesterday <laughs> some of them are very good at it I have to say but you can see it definitely lets the witnesses off the hook a little bit they sit back and think oh here comes so and so I've got a 10 minute break coming up now uh, moving on to Ryan Tuberty himself and, and Noel Kelly I mean this, I think this first time interestingly yesterday that we actually had although they weren't all in the room at the same time witnesses contradicting evidence that was being presented by other witnesses does this lead to the questions over Ryan's future? Can he potentially go back into RT, forgetting about the scandal, forgetting about what may come out of it, but he is now in a situation when he's you know, at odds with his own bosses, his own employers? He is, but he's also painted a picture that it is not his fault, uh, and that if, you, if you're accepting the arguments he put forward yesterday, that he went, he got his, he doesn't negotiate the deals himself because he's no head for it, he got No Kelly to do that, No Kelly negotiated a very good deal uh, in which he did give up, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20%, depending on how you look at the figures, or sorry, 12 and 20%. Mm. Uh, of his salary, but then that this separate commercial arrangement was entered into. So you can make that whole, that's a whole separate argument as to whether there was actually a pay cut, but that it was RTE's under-reporting of the figures rather than him being overpaid. He got he got paid what he was entitled to do. He raised a concern with RTE at the time through his agent, and that was never followed up on. Uh, so he can he painted a picture where you can think, yeah, he's fairly rightly been aggrieved here. And I don't think it was any coincidence that they had their solicitor in there behind them, feeding notes and all throughout. Yeah. Um, I th and I think... If you were to look at it from a purely employment point of view, it would be quite difficult, actually, for Kevin Backhurst to argue that he should be gone, based purely on the evidence that was there yesterday. Now, there is a whole separate thing of confidence within RTE, and he was asked about this, and he said that, look, he has the utmost respect for his colleagues, he wants to be able to rebuild the trust with them, but that that trust was taken from him, that it was not his fault that he, the trust was broken, it was the way RTE handled it that pulled that apart. So very much, again, setting up that he can do that, and it was RTE manage, uh, management's fault. 
Kevin Backhurst has said he's going to consult with staff before he makes this decision. It won't be made this week or, or maybe not even next week, but he said over the coming weeks about the future. And he gave an interview yesterday in which I thought he sounded a lot more positive about Ryan Chubberty. Less so Noel Kelly. He sort of questioned very much whether there's a future for agents mm. in RT, whether someone like Chubberty should be a contractor at all or whether they should be a member of staff. There's a lot of contractual difficulties within that and layers within that to, to work through. So I think he is more likely to have a future at RT after yesterday than I thought on Monday. Yeah, it'd be interesting because the balance between the two uh, sides of the story there in relation to contractor versus staff, I think they'd have a real fight on their hands if Ryan was actually a staff member. Whereas, coincidentally, and perhaps slightly ironically, the fact that he is a contractor, at some point they could just say, ah, listen, Ryan, thanks very much. We've decided we're not going to renew your contract and they might not have the same level of battle on their hands. Well, that, that's part of why they use these contracts when it comes to radio presenters, so that if you get past it, you can be gotten rid of. You know, that's that's part of why it suits management to have these these sort of arrangements in place. And given that there's a huge question mark still over his employment status at the moment, he is still getting paid by RTE, but his five-year contract... I mean, yesterday, Noel Kelly said that's still valid. That's been disputed by RTE because there's been a material change in that he's no longer doing TV. Yeah. Renegotiations were underway. So there is a grey area that perhaps legally Kevin Backers could use to say, actually, sorry, no, we're not going to renew anything. We're not going to pursue this and, and, and you're gone. Um, but yeah, it, it, look, there's a lot of grey there in terms of employment law that I am not smart enough to understand. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And uh, Sean Defoe, I appreciate your time and joining us. It's interesting that the government are getting accused of using Ryan Tuberty and the fact that there was talent in the building yesterday as an opportunity to distract from other things that are going on. But I think once the government uh, breaks up for the summer recess, we're going to be looking for news stories and this one looks like it could deliver for just a bit longer yet. Yes, I think we will be talking about this for a while longer. Remember that initial uh, report from Grant Thornton is also due uh, to fall around the middle of August. The forensic auditor is due to go in, I think, today to start looking at some of the accounts as well. So this is going to run and run. As you say, yesterday you had a big housing briefing slap bang mm. in the middle of these committee hearings. There was other items that went to Cabinet that were quite important that uh, that maybe got, didn't get a proper look at and maybe will over the coming weeks. But conveniently for that stage, the door will be gone and the ministers will be on the holiday. <laughs> so uh, we, I'm sure we'll find a way to talk about them now. Oh, Sean, I'm sure we will. Thank you very much as always for joining us. Sean Defogue, political correspondent here on KCLR Live. It's 20 minutes past 11 o'clock. Um, no doubt I'll be speaking to Sean at some point in the future. It's always a pleasure. Um, but it'd be nice to have a variety of things to talk about rather than just being RTE the whole time. KCL or Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. Carlo, Kilkenny, KCLR. You're welcome back to KCLR Live, 21 minutes past 11 o'clock. In a couple of moments, I'll be chatting with Jacinta Purcell of Osri Youth. The Joint Committee on Children, Equality, Disability, Integration and Youth has published its report on the future of youth working. And Jacinta will be joining us to tell us uh, what's contained in that report and what her views are on it. But again, um, this Wednesday morning, it's time to wreck your heads. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit laharts.ie. So, in association with La Hearts, we're trying to give away some money. It's worth €200 Euros this week. Um, we've got a sound that we're going to play for you. If you can tell us what that sound is, text us or WhatsApp us on 083 306 9696. And if you can get it right, we'll give you that money. 
Yeah, people already having guesses. Regular listeners to the show sleeping on it overnight. Um, somebody asking, is the mystery sound the sound of adjusting a front car seat to a desired forwards backwards position? Asks Malcolm in, in Ballyteagle in Boris County, Callow. No, Malcolm, it's not. Have another listen. That is the mystery sound. If you can identify it, do text me or WhatsApp me. 83 306 I'll give you another little listen to it before 12 o'clock. But then again, don't wait because somebody else might get there before you. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit lahearts.ie. 083-306-9696 You can call the show 1800 Or email us um, at KCLR96FM.com Now, youth work We all enjoyed jobs during the summer, didn't we? Yes, but launching a report yesterday Deputy Kathleen Funch and Cahirlock on the committee um, said young people are one of the greatest resources we have They are also one of the greatest of our responsibilities we need to create a society that enables them to flourish. And joining me on the line now to talk about that report and youth working in general from Osri Youth is Jacinta Purcell. Jacinta, you're very well along to the show this morning. Good morning, Brian. Thanks very much for having me on. We all remember with um, fondness in most cases those days when we are maybe 14, 15 years of age and this time of year most often uh, we went out and got our first little summer job paid whatever you could get your hands on and treated whatever way uh, the person you were working for pretty much wanted you to tr- be treated. And things have moved on a lot since then, haven't they? They have indeed, Brian, and um, as as Deputy Function clearly stated as well, young people are our greatest resource, and I suppose following this publication, the simple message I'd like to get across this morning is that we need to and have to invest in those young people because they are our future. They are our future tradespeople, they are our future workers, they are our future politicians, they are our future doctors, nurses, you know, uh, engineers, everything. So we need to put the investment into them from a younger age so that they can contribute positively to society when they are old enough to get jobs and beyond. And I think the, the thing with youth work is that it's such a holistic approach that you have, it complements their services that young people get in relation to education and therapeutic services. But the, the key to this report, and they, they clearly outlined in it as well, that there is a shortfall in, in a lot of areas that youth work needs to be embedded more into strategies across the board for young people because the investment, like I said, if it's put in now, because you know youth work plays a pivotal role for those young people. Because again, like you said, whether it's somebody getting a job or whether it's a young person involved in sport, there are other areas where young people need to get support services for and youth work plays a key part in that. And what types of supports and services do you think are missing at the moment? I don't think so much that things are missing, Brian. It's the fact that there isn't enough of resources. So so the problem is there's waiting lists for young people to get involved in things. There's, you know, there isn't enough of, of money being poured into youth work in order to create more opportunities for young people. What's there is amazing, and we know it because we're at the heart of it, but again, we consistently say that it needs to be recognised more uh, nationally and internationally. And, you know, it's, it's the fact that 
we can't give as much of our time as we'd like to because we're restricted in relation to resources. Because you have everything from, you know, group work where young people get involved in a group or whether it's one-to-one support that sometimes people need. And I suppose I was just thinking about this after reading the report this morning. And, like, as adults ourselves, like, we get our supports from lots of different areas in our life, whether it's our work colleagues, whether it's friends, family, social outlets, you know, sports, you know, everything. So young people deserve to be able to get those support networks as well in their lives because, as we all know, and I know I've been speaking to you before about different aspects around young people and social media plays a big part in it as well, there's a lot of pressure on young people these days. So not every young person is in uh, formal education or they might be partly in education. So they need access to support services as well. And and this is where the report is coming from, that they want access for all. And the only way that can happen is if more funding is put into it. Um, I suppose the, the, the other thing as well is... For me, if I could sit down in front of the the key the key people involved in departments on this, uh, is to say that it's more about less percentages and more resources. We, as the workers on the ground, know the percentages as to what's going on for young people. We know about the the young people we need to target and support, but sometimes that restricts us in our work because um, you know it's. Not that we have to tick boxes, but you know you have to 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 run certain programs and things. So if it could be a broader, holistic approach, it would mean more young people would be able to access the services. And in percentage terms, Jacinta, how far off do you think we are of having the right amount of financial support to deliver? Um, a, a coherent, expansive. Because I mean, one of the other items that the, the committee recommends is that we also factor in people between the age of eighteen to twenty-four. Yeah. I mean, they also fall between the cracks quite often in terms of you know they get to eighteen and they're kicked out into the big bad world on their own, and you know they're getting there, but they're maybe not quite there yet mm-hmm. in terms of having their own support structures in place. How much more money do we need? Uh. <laughs> How long is a piece of string, yeah. Brian? And I suppose in relation to the fact that, you know, I've had the privilege of being involved in youth work for a very long time, um, for over 23 years, and I came through the system as a volunteer first, so I've kind of seen it from many different aspects as well. But those, like, like you correctly said, those 18 to 24-year-olds, because youth work as well also is defined, Brian, as anyone from 10 to 24 mm. um, that, that we work with. But those 18-year-olds, like like you said, it's suddenly, bing, you hit 18, and it's like, see ya, off you go, fend for yourself. And actually, sometimes I would argue when I'm talking to people that transition year that happens in secondary school would be just as valid, actually, at the end of secondary school, at, at the end of leaving search, because they're transitioning out into the world, whether it's the workplace, whether it's further education. And they actually are just as vulnerable as that a little 11 or 12-year-old starting their journey through secondary school as well. Because to navigate, we all know it, like to navigate just paperwork alone as adults can be mind-boggling. So put yourself in the shoes of an 18-year-old who might have to navigate um, that paperwork for themselves. It can be quite daunting. So the support services need to be there for the ages right up to 24 as well. It's interesting because when I think about it, and um, just using my own life as an example, I left home when I was 17 and moved to the UK. So, I mean, I went straight from you know, literally, you know, there's your socks and your jock, stick them on before you go out the door in the morning into going, God, how do I get a PPS number or a national security number Mm -hmm. in England? Is it a case, and I'm only putting this out there to debate, is it a case that the way we treat young people today has disarmed them to a certain extent 
to be able to live in the big bad world on their own? Or has the big bad world changed to be such a difficult place to live in that we now need to prepare younger people better to live in that world? I think it's probably a little bit of both, Brian, because, you know, in saying that, it's it's like that there's so many factors to take in place when you say when they are navigating. Some, some young people have great resilience and they're able to navigate those systems themselves, but others aren't. And I think that's where some of the ones are getting lost along the way, that we make this assumption that once they turn 18, once they go off to further education or travel or work, that they're fine. Sometimes they're not. And it's about being able to come back into a system to get support or be able to journey through that system. And the really key thing about youth work is the journey. And that's the bit we always focus on, that it's it's not about just meeting with a young person, giving them a piece of information and saying, off you go. It's the relationship building that we have with them because they see youth work as, you know, it's non-formal education. So they know they can come in, they're listened to. It's, it's about, I think, for, for Ireland and society in general, it's more about listening to young people. We're quite good at saying what we need to do for young people and maybe sometimes put those structures in place. But have we actually asked the young people? Because they need to be part of that as well. And in Oster Youth, for example, we have young people on our board. Mm. Young people interview staff. I got interviewed by young people. And let me tell you, it's quite daunting. <laughs> um, because they are the best judge of characters. And like they are going to be... The, the young people working with the youth workers so who better to actually interview us than the young people themselves and I think if more and more organisations committees, you know, everything looked at okay, how can we actually, and not make it tokenistic, actually ask young people their opinion ask young people to get involved in stuff because like I said, they are the future, so they are going to impact on where Ireland goes in years to come they are our future workers so they need to be part of it and feel valued enough that whatever is going on for them, their opinion actually counts. It's quite interesting because one of the other points that the committee called on, they called on the department to prioritise the recognition, and I'm reading directly from their recommendations, mm-hmm. uh, they called to prioritise recognition and professionalisation of youth work. Increased funding and pay parity are essential to this, but so too is the provision of a continuous professional development. Now, for me, the interesting part, and that was the very first line, where they call to prioritise the recognition and professionalisation of youth work. Is it a case that there's no direct, structured recognition of youth work services across the country? Has it just evolved from people who gave up their own time to run the local youth club and as such, there's no formal line of communication to governments to, to be able to get what they want? No, I think, I think there are quite good structures in place, but like they said in the report, there needs to be more because the nature, I suppose, of youth work, Brian, is it's not a nine-to-five job, okay? So we could be out uh, until eight or nine o'clock at night with groups. You work Saturdays, Sundays, weekends, trips, everything. So it's not your kind of run-of-the-mill um, nine-to-five job, so it's not for everybody either. So I suppose the fact that maybe not as many people want to get into the area because of the unsociable hours mm. uh, that's involved in as well. And like like they said in the report as well, that if pay matched that and gave value to it, that youth workers were seen that, you know, this is highly professional um, organisation, which it is. Like the work that goes on behind the scenes that I suppose isn't always even known or recognised as well. Um, what all youth services and there's so many and we're really lucky in Kilkenny to have um, such a variety of support services for young people but the thing we're getting uh, to hear all the time is that 
there's waiting lists, there's waiting lists, there's waiting lists. And, and for some vulnerable young people, a waiting list is not good enough because they need to be able to access that service to get the support when they actually need it. And all the, the support services, whether it's youth organisations, uh, family resource centres, therapeutic services, everybody is doing as much as they can. But again, I suppose from a national level, if, if youth work was put up more on, and I suppose... I'd like to use the word pedestal because it needs to be put up on it because it is at the heart of what young people need and collectively and it complements all the other services that are going on for young people and like youth work signposts uh, young people and their families to other services that they might need also but again it's going back to the key thing of we actually need more funding so that we can broaden the, the net and actually be able to support more young people and their families. Just finally, Jacinta, I mean, obviously the report was launched yesterday, the Joint Committee on Children, Equality, Ability, in- Integration and Youth. Um, Deputy Councillor Function launched that report yesterday. What would you hope are the next steps of the back of this report and how quickly would you like to see them implemented? Um, well, obviously, um, there's, there's a lot going on in the media, as, as you were speaking about <laughs> earlier. So sometimes these things, um, unfortunately, can get don't always get the headlines that they actually deserve. So I suppose we'd like at departmental level that, you know, the report is taken on board as soon as possible and that they actually can address those recommendations. And look, we all know that they might be able to, to uh, you know, follow through on all the recommendations, but if they could start with some of the key ones, it would be a really good opportunity. And I'd also like that if young people got the opportunity to actually sit down with um the key decision makers as well around this and actually explain from on the ground how important these recommendations are and need to be followed through on. Yeah, well, Jacinta Purcell um, from Ostry Youth, thanks for all the great work that you do and thanks for joining us this morning on KCLR Live. Always a pleasure to talk to you. It's 11.36 now, 24 minutes uh, to 12 o'clock. After a short break, I'm going to give you our very little listen, last listen of this morning um, to our mystery sound. KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie. KCLR. Yes, you're very welcome back. It's uh, 21 minutes to 12 o'clock in a couple of moments. Cora Fenton, actor and producer of Fred and Alice, will be joining us to tell us about the return of the show to the uh, visual in Carlo on the 14th of July. But I, I promised you I would do this, and I'm a man of my word. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hearts Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit laharts.ie. So we're not quite at Q Clue time yet. I'm going to leave you to your own devices in terms of trying to work out what our mystery sound is, but I will give you some of the incorrect answers that we've had this morning. Is that the sound of the opening of a door on a bus? You get that hydraulic sound before the door slams. Well, we got the guess and an explanation of the guess there um, from that particular listener. No, good guess, but it's not quite correct. You're more than welcome to have another go if you want. Here is today's mystery sound. Yeah, I can see what you're suggesting about the hydraulic sound and then the slamming of the door at the end, but it's not that. 
Oh, yeah, there you go. The mystery sound. Have another little go to it if you want. It's worth 200 euros this morning. And all you have to do to enter is text or WhatsApp us on our Dinner's Ready text and WhatsApp line 083 306 9696. That's the number. Send your guesses to me. And if you get it right, I'll give you that 200 euros at some point within the next 20 minutes. The Volkswagen ID Sound on KCLR. With thanks to the ID range of electric vehicles at La Hart's Volkswagen Kilkenny. Visit laharts.ie. Yes, so keep those guesses coming in. Text and WhatsApp's open 083 306 9696. You can free phone the show, of course, whenever you wish, 1800 9696 or email us KCLR Live at KCLR96FM.com. It's interesting, people still texting or WhatsApping um, on their opinions from the Oireachtas Committee yesterday, and it's, it's definitely split in terms of how well um, and how honestly how forthrightly those people performed yesterday um, I suppose it will remain to be seen but it's going to go on because this Thursday the executive are back in front of the media committee and the PAC have said that they might be interested in speaking to them again so listen we'll stay with it we'll keep going with it we won't uh, at the point where we reckon it's done and dusted we'll, we'll be told I'm sure that it's done and dusted but for now the saga continues and something else that's continuing coming back less of a saga more of a story and hopefully a damn sight more interesting than some of the stuff that's going on in those Oireachtas committees is a fantastic play Fred and Alice it's a quirky love story about two amazing mischievous characters who met in a home it wasn't really a home but Fred always called it a home because that is where he lived and joining us to tell us more about the show more about the production and the world of being involved in theatre and arts in general is Cora Fenton she's an actor and the producer of Fred and Alice good morning and welcome along to KCLR Live Cora Good morning, Brian. Thanks a million for having me. Listen, it's always a pleasure. It's nice to talk about something creative that's not um, RTE-bound or RTE-based. Uh, Fred and Alice, tell us a little bit more about it. Sure. Like you said there, it's, uh, it's a quirky love story. It was written about 10 years ago by John Sheehy, and initially we put it on for just a week in our local uh, theatre in Kamalak in Friars Gate for a week, and it took off which was fantastic. So it's kind of a, a lovely, small, kind of two-person success story. It took off. It ended up going to Dublin and Bewley's in 2013. And it got invited all over the country. So we ended up having a wonderful kind of surprise hit on our hands. And we've been touring ever since. So we're delighted to be back this year for our 10-year anniversary. And... On Friday, we'll be on performance number, I think it's 176. Yeah. <laughs> so they know the lines well at this stage, but there's, there's quite a lot of fun and comedy in this story as well, isn't there? Yes, it is primarily kind of a quirky love story. It's about uh, two, like you said, they're kind of mischievous characters, Fred and Alice. They meet in a home, and it's, uh, it's kind of love at first sight for Alice, uh, Fred doesn't talk to her again for years and then kind of eventually he gets used to her and as she says it's love at first sight for him then and they meet in the home they fall in love uh, music is what kind of brings them together Fred is um, oh he's an expert on music and he's always carrying a racket around with him and Alice notices this and she peeks into his room one evening and sees that he's there with a the tennis racket but he's actually using it as a guitar he's playing it as a guitar I suppose a lot of us have kind of done that when we were younger <laughs> yeah, well, we're young, yeah. he's taken it uh, to expert level so she grabs a, uh, a racket of her own goes along to Fred's room they start practicing and three weeks later they're playing Wembley and 
do you know uh, the concert is a sellout and uh, the whole stadium is packed and 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 uh, Fred has a chair wedged against the door handle in case they're interrupted and they they go play Wembley and that brings out the best of them. Yeah, it's a it lovely story. Because I mean, yeah. we, we often, we all, I'm sure, know people that are in care, um, and often when people go into care, they're they're quite lonely. I mean, they're going in, you know, towards the end of their days. Maybe they've they've lost the love of their life, and I think there's a general sort of expectation that you know people are not going to find love again. I mean, it's very different from somebody who may lose a partner in their twenties, thirties, or forties. People would be encouraged to get back out, get on the scene, yeah. find new love. Well, it's interesting to to talk about the idea that why can't people who or maybe in their 60s or 70s or 80s um, still have that love in their life? Um, I mean, absolutely. This, this story is representative of the fact that everyone, first of all, is an individual and that everyone can find love no matter who you are, what you're like, you know, your personality. And what's lovely about Fred and Alice is they bring out the best in each other. They, they're, they're quirks. They see them as beautiful positive things and Fred is kind of quiet at the beginning and Alice does all the talking but she brings him out of himself and vice versa kind of as, he, as, as Alice says he puts me back into myself a little bit and they support each other and then it is a fight for uh, independence they want to they want to live together they want to be allowed to live together like 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 any normal couple and so the play while it's a, a comedy and uh, kind of a quirky love story it kind of hints at deeper issues as well and mm. it's kind of a celebration of listen they're all individuals um, why shouldn't everybody celebrate their own individuality and just you know just be allowed to, to do what they want to do and fall in love like everyone and uh, and it's a celebration of that I love the fact that as people um, get into their latter years and maybe they're not in, as encumbered by the, the stresses of day-to-day life, um, that you've got that sort of freedom of imagination and freedom of mind that's almost childlike in its way. Um, it, it's great to have that expressed on stage. And I'm, I, listen, I'd love to act. Some people would say I act like a child most of the time anyway. But I'd, I'd love to be able to act like a child more. It's great to express that and, and, and to sort of celebrate it rather than seeing it as somebody just going out seeing it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's like a child in all of us and as you become an adult, you kind of suppress that, don't you? And life takes over. And then I, I think I've noticed that I've got a nephew now who's like 11 or 12 and when he visits straight back to your childhood and <laughs> you're enjoying that. And and I, I think, you know, when you think back as well, of, you know, things that make you happy and things that um, you enjoy in life, it's always when you're having fun and you're just living in the moment. And I think Fred and Alice show us how to do that, live in the moment, uh, love each other, accept each other for who they are. And then the play, the devices in the play, uh, it's, you know, it's some beautiful and it's, you know, I don't mind award-winning writing as well and award-winning production, but it's done in this beautiful kind of whimsical whirlwind way that where everything is, is possible and um, it's done in a kind of an uplifting um, sort of, you know, an uplifting, uh, an uplay where hopefully the audience will come out with a kind of a, a spring and a step and it's, yeah. it's, it's charming, it's done in a charming way as well and, yeah. and it moves people as well, you know, people have come up to us afterwards saying, you know, I saw it before and I saw the comedy and I saw the whirlwindness of it and, 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 and all the devices and this time I heard more about it, uh, you know, I heard more of it and, and the things that are being said and, and the things that are being hinted and the, the challenges, you know, where we're asking the audience, you know, think how you uh, treat people and, 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 um, 
and your views and things. So it's it's re- it's really interesting that t- this time round coming back coming back and for people to come and see the second time. And actually, we were on the visual in in the past, so. It, you know, it'd be lovely even if some people came back and yeah, and, enjoyed uh, it the second time uh, round. Well, as you said, I was yeah. going to ask you actually, you were in the visual before. You're back in the visual on the 14th. You know, yeah. the show itself is at seven. Yeah, 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 it's absolutely yeah. it's, it's on top of us now. Um, seven thirty in the evening. Obviously, people can get tickets from the visual box office and uh, they yeah. can check out all the details of it. I love it. I love it. It sounds like a fabulous story. I haven't had the pleasure of seeing it. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to get there for the evening. But I mean, if you can get there, if you want to do something um, and enjoy those topics that that show yeah. covers. Fred and Alice back at the visual um, July 14th. Uh, Cora Fenton, um, actor and producer of Fred of Alice, um, thanks for joining us this morning on KCLR Live. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Our pleasure. To back to yeah, I love that. I love that um, element of uh, going back to your youth. I remember um, my mother, uh, the first time one of my kids said to her, Nana, get down on the floor and while she struggled to get down and indeed probably back up as well uh, the joy in her face at sort of enjoying that part of our life again was spectacular and Fred and Alice although it's not totally about that um, does touch on those type of check- t- topics check it out on the visual and uh, Carlo this Friday at 7.30 KCL or live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style see fairgreen.ie KCLR. Welcome back to KCLR Live. It's 10 minutes to 12 o'clock. Um, we were asking you to identify a mystery sound. Nobody has done that yet, but we have had plenty of entries in for our giveaway in association with the fun of the fair, Fox McFadden's. Uh, back going back to the Hebron Road. They're here for three days from Friday and to this Sunday. All the fun of that fair. Um, I'll tell you who it was that we were um, looking for you to identify, what show it was and uh, who has won that prize. Uh, but while I'm actually picking out that winner, I'm going to play something on a similar sort of theme. Anybody know what this track is? Yeah, it's on the playlist, so I picked up because it's Fairground from Simply Red. That is Simply Red with Fairground. Yes. Why did I play that? Well, because we've been trying to give away tickets to the Fairground all morning. That fantastic family pack. We were asking you, could you tell us what show this was from? Yeah, lots of you guessing the answer correctly. It could only, of course, be the greatest showman. So many of you got the answers correct, and thanks for sending those texts in. But the winner, picked randomly, um, of that prize is Rory Cudahy from Greg Namana. Congratulations, Rory. You now need to find 19 people to bring with you to the fairground this weekend. I'm sure you will. I could actually give out your address, and people would go knocking on your door saying, Rory, bring me, bring me. I'm sure Amy McLaughlin and some of the guys in the studio will be quite happy to go along, Rory. But congratulations, and well done on picking up that prize. It's been a pleasure keeping you company this morning. Um, I wanted to read out one last message that I got in um, from uh, one of our listeners, James. Uh, He says, uh, on the topic we were talking earlier on of enjoying and being youthful right throughout our lives. He says, Hi Brian, as adults, we can never lose the child in us. We just tend 
to hide our inner child away. We don't look at the world around us in awe, like kids do, nor do we allow ourselves to delve into our imagination. The world around you has always been built and will continue to be built by using our imagination. Thanks, James, for sending that in. Lovely thought to finish us off today. Thanks to all our guests this morning, all the way through, but more importantly, thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Amy for producing. Thanks to everybody else who helps work on the show here at KCLR. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 10. John Keane is up, of course, just after the news at 12. And then soon none will be here for the way it is between 4 and 6. Do stay tuned to KCLR and thanks for keeping us company. KCLR Live with thanks to Fairgreen Shopping Centre Carlo, helping you step out of the sweatpants and into style. See fairgreen.ie.